I'm Warren Berkeley with the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen. We're thankful that you listen to these sermons we put on the website. And we want you to be aware that this sermon was recorded on August the 25th on Sunday evening during a rather fierce thunderstorm. So you may hear thunder in the background on the recording, and you may hear me make references to the ongoing storm. Again, thank you for listening. Well, it sounds like somebody's been praying for rain. Good evening. You are to be commended for your interest in hearing God's Word. We're hearing from God in at least two different ways this evening. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 15 is my starting place. 2 Peter chapter 1, 13 through 15. The Apostle Peter said, I think it right, so long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. One way to express what I'm going to talk to us about tonight is we want to learn to be good spiritual ancestors. We want to learn how to be good spiritual ancestors. We have an expression we use in our vocabulary these days. We talk about leaving your mark. And I'm hesitant to use that because it is not really our mark. We did not originate and we do not own what we want to leave for the next generation. We want to live in such a way that we encourage the next generation to carry on with the truth that Peter and the other apostles delivered and that came from God. It is God's mark or image that we want to leave for the next generation to embrace. And one way to say all that is we want to learn how to be good spiritual ancestors. There's a rather offhand attitude that isn't good about this. When someone might say something like, well... I can't do anything about the next generation now. After I'm gone, certainly I can't do anything then. I'll be gone. I think the Apostle Peter had the right attitude when he said in this passage we've read, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter didn't say, who cares? I won't be here. Peter didn't say, I can't do anything about these young folks. He didn't say, I guess it will all work out somehow. I'll be gone. I'll be dead. Rather, he said, in essence, I'm going to be a part of leaving a solid spiritual legacy. I'll do my part. In fact, he says, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. See, 
Peter wanted his teaching that came from God and his influence that came from God through Christ to extend beyond his departure from earth, knowing that his teaching and influence came from a higher source and would be needed by those who lived after him. So here's my subject tonight, weather permitting, how to be good spiritual ancestors. This is about the Christian's legacy, what we leave for the next generation, what we do now in teaching and influence for the spiritual good of those who will call us someday their spiritual ancestors. Number one, we need to make certain the next generation knows what it means to be partakers of the divine nature. I'm still in Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to start at verse 1 and read several verses. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The activity of faith that Christians are involved in is intended to take us somewhere in our character. In this passage, active faith takes us to personal development. Personal character development, not just in some sort of general way, but specifically virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. As faith generates this character development 
One is a partaker of the divine nature. We're doing things God wants us to do, and we're involved in virtues and attributes illustrated by God. We're putting that into our lives. We are partakers of the divine nature. So my concern for the next generation needs to include making certain the younger generation knows what it means to be partakers of the divine nature, to have in their lives the good traits of character that are evident in God and in the example of Christ, responding to God in such a way that you become like Him. This is reminiscent of 1 Peter 1.15. He who called you is holy, you also be holy. Now, that leads to the question, how do we do that? How do we take what this passage says and impart that to the next generation while we're still alive? Part of the answer is obvious. We want young people to hear this passage and read this passage. We want this material to be a part of the class curriculum that we impart to young people in our classes. We want young people to hear expositions of this passage from the pulpit. We want perhaps young people to memorize this passage. But our answer is not finished. Our children and grandchildren need to see in us these qualities up close and personal. I believe most young people, especially teens and above, can be taught this text and understand the meaning of it. But what we teach to them and what we preach for them needs to be accompanied by how we live. It may be the good and honest hearts of many young people will read the text and apply it if they've never seen it in anybody in real life. But what is our challenge? Our challenge is to teach them and show them what it means to be a partaker of the divine nature, to have in their character virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness. They need to hear this passage and they need to see what this means in real life examples, up close and personal. Peter said, I will make every effort. May we join Peter in that effort. We need to be good spiritual ancestors. Let's be sure that in being good spiritual ancestors, that we tell the next generation, we warn the next generation, do not, do not be misled. We are not following cleverly devised myths when we engage in the practice of being disciples of Christ. I want you to listen to verses 16 through 21. I'm still in 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. Peter says, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, 
And the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along with the Holy Spirit. Peter is saying... To the next generation and through his writings to us, when we obey the gospel and live as disciples of Christ, we're not following cleverly devised myths. I'll tell you, one thing we need to do with our young people, our children, grandchildren, young people we have contact with, is the evidences upon which faith is based needs to be conveyed to them. That's a good part of our legacy. Rather than just saying to young people, you need to have faith in Christ, give them the basis of faith in Christ. For instance, in our study of the Gospel of John, we're going through the evidences that God gave through Jesus and that God enabled John to write that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. We cannot just assume that the next generation will have exactly the same hold on faith that we have. And I do not mean that as any criticism to our young people. The reality is, young people are bombarded with messages and images designed to deny the foundation of our faith, the inspiration and the authority of Scripture. It may be worse in the future. We need to ground them not only in what faith is, but what faith is based on, the evidences of the faith. I saw one survey a year or so ago of 1,300 college professors in the public universities. We have college people in public school teachers here who are not a part of what I'm going to describe. But this is generally true in the academic world, especially in state universities in some places. It was discovered that 3% of these professors who were interviewed held unfavorable feelings toward Jews. 3%. 22% had unfavorable feelings toward Muslims. 53% of these academics held unfavorable feelings toward Christians. Now, there's a message there. It does not apply to every single academic nor every single student who would enter the academic world. But it's a reality. Now, what can Christians do about such biases wherever they might be? Well, we could wring our hands in anxiety. We could do nothing. Or we could get busy teaching and training the next generation the evidences 
that uphold our faith. There's one of them. One of the examples of power right there. We can say to young people what Peter said, we did not follow cleverly devised myths. Let's equip our young people, not discourage them with our anxieties about society. Let's equip them to be competent in Scripture and to have not only faith, but to have in their minds the ability to defend the faith and to give the evidences of God's existence, the inspiration of Scripture, the evidences that Jesus is who he claims to be. We need to be good spiritual ancestors. Let's teach them, the next generation, the discipline of discernment. I'm going to call this the discipline of discernment, and I'm still in 2 Peter. Now I'm in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. There may be some distaste to have straight talk with your children and younger people about the difference between what the Bible says and what many modern religious groups are teaching and doing. But I say to you, there should be no hesitation to have conversations with our children about what the Bible says and how that's different from what many modern religious groups are doing. We need to train the next generation in discernment. We can't get away from that. They're going to see out in the world that churches are different we are not like many of the other religious groups around us. We're not like denominations. There is such a thing as false teaching. And our children need to know that before they leave the home and go out into the world. We need to convey to them the discipline of discernment to take what the Bible says and use that to test everything that's out there. I grew up in the era of religious debates. Back in the 1950s, my father was very active in a local church, and one of his jobs was to record debates. And there were several debates between members of the church and various denominations, and he would go out and take, you're not going to believe this, an old copper wire recorder, an old copper wire recorder, and he'd capture the entire debate. And then the recording went to the transcriber, and the transcriber would then publish the debate. I attended many of those. And at my age, anywhere between 8 and 12, I suppose, I didn't process all those arguments. 
But I learned one thing in that experience. You have to open the Bible and check everything that men say and do. I learned the discipline of discernment before I even knew what the word discernment meant. Well, we don't seem to have debates much anymore. Not so much. I'll let you be the judge of the value of that. But I hope we haven't come so far in the other direction that we don't talk to the next generation about the difference between what the Bible says and what so many people in religion are doing. That's not in the Bible. That reality needs to be a part of the spiritual legacy that we leave. Because false teachers don't walk into churches with name tags. Hello, my name is Warren. I'm a false teacher. Books out in the bookstores are not marked with warning labels. The contents of this book may not be found in the Bible, may be against the Bible. The internet makes it possible for countless people to be exposed to false teaching seconds after they hit a button. Peter was concerned about the brethren who would survive his death. He said, there will be false teachers among you. That concern needs to be a part of our action plan for the next generation. And then number four, we need to make sure in all of our conversations and instruction to the young people, our kids and grandkids and young people in general, we need to make certain they understand that there is a day coming. I'm still in Second Peter, now I'm in chapter 3. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word the heavens and earth that now exists are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? 
waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So, in all our efforts, in all our efforts and influence directed to the good of our children, grandchildren, and the next generation, we need to stress that this day is coming. We need to say that. Preach that and teach that and live like people who believe it. And we ought to be alert to opportunities to talk to our kids and grandkids and other members of the younger generation about their final interview with God. And emphasize what Peter brings out here. What sort of people ought we to be anticipating that the earth will not always be here and there will be that final day of judgment. What sort of people? Faith developing into character. Knowing that what we have in Scripture is not cleverly devised fables. Discerning between truth and error to be the kind of people God wants us to be because without advance warning, like a thief in the night, that day will come. There's modern trending conversation in the religious world to downplay all that. We must not. Our task is to help the next generation see and be ready for what the Bible says will happen about the end of time. It is weighty, urgent instruction that needs to be a part of our permanent imprint on our children and our grandchildren. So, what kind of spiritual ancestors are we going to be? This is very much directed to what we do now that we can't do later, but instruction and influence can be given now that imparts great benefit to those who will live on after us. I want to close with a few words from Psalms 78. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. Listen to verse 4. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. May that be our commitment to our children, grandchildren, and the next generation. Let's be standing as we sing.